We've had a great time here and uh, we've been down in Palmerston North at the Baptist Hui for three days and then we drove up yesterday and we have loved being with you today. Um, you know, our ref reflections this morning was just, you know, I don't think we went for longer than 20 seconds without people just coming up and talking to us and asking questions and asking where we're from and... You know, the best thing about this gathering is that we get together and build community and you do it really, really well. So thank you for making us feel so welcome. And, um, you know, tonight I'm just going to put a challenge out there. I'm going to challenge us on stepping out in faith, on just jumping into whatever God has for you. I've learned it's the best way to live. I've learned also you have to hold on tight because you're in for the ride of your life. I've learned to say yes to Jesus and work out how on earth to do it after that. I've learned it's better to be in the will of God in a crazy typhoon than it is to be out of the will of God in the calm. That feels better than this. And tonight I want to just take us on a bit of a journey of just perhaps challenging you to step out in something that God might have been whispering to you. Some of us have held whispers in our heart for years. Some of you may be sitting here tonight and God may whisper to you for the very first time. Some of you maybe have walked in and just be trying to explore what the whole idea of this God thing and church is all about. Perhaps God's going to call you tonight and show himself to you. We've been singing about it the whole time. So whatever it is, I expect every single one of you will have a response. Is that okay to expect that? Back row? Where's the back row? Oh, that back row. Okay, awesome. All right, guys, so when's the last time you did something for the first time? When's the last time you did something for the first time? Personally, I like to live every month doing something for the first time. I remember one year I journaled the first time things I did and there were 21 of them. So I averaged every second week, did something for the first time. Well, I did something for the first time uh, about three years ago and it was something I had waited to do most of my life. Do you want to have a look at what it was? All right, let's take a look.
what? Just stop it for a second. It was not as easy as it looked. There was a whole heap of stuff that went into that day. Okay. Let's just get a few things. Anyone else done skydiving before? Yeah, okay. Maybe six people. There's more to it than just what you saw, isn't there? I'd ask lots of questions. I'd say I wanted to do a tandem because this is what I'd heard. If you do a tandem jump, you do a half-day training. If you do a solo jump, you do two days. And I like everything done yesterday, so I'm like, then I'm going for the quick option. Plus, you get strapped to somebody who has supposedly done this before, so it's a little bit safer. So I go out to this skydiving. My daughter came with me and... Uh, at the church that I was at, we uh, had a camera crew, so I took them with me because I thought, let's record this. And we get out to the place there and um, I started to talk to them and I'm like, I'm here at 8.30 in the morning, ready for my half day training. Did you have half day training? You did have half day training. Did you do it in New Zealand? Australia's insane. Let me tell you what happened. So I get there and I'm ready with my clipboard, my notebook, ready to kind of train till lunchtime, maybe jump in the afternoon. And they, they say, okay, well, head into that room there and just wait for a few minutes and we'll be with you in a second. So off I go. Sit in this room that was kind of small, maybe as twice the size of the drum kit space. And I had a little television in the corner. And I'm like, okay. So I sat there and this man comes in who did not look like he was part of a skydiving crew. And he just said, so just watch the video. We'll be back in a, few, in a little while. I said, okay, how long does the video go for? He goes, oh, five minutes. I'm like, and then what? He goes, then we'll get you rigged up and you'll jump. And I'm like, five minutes? I thought this is half day. And he just, just walks out, you know, whatever. So I sit down, I memorised every single second of those five minutes because my life depended on it. And I'm watching the video and they're showing you how to sit on the edge of the plane, how you'll be told to then roll out, cross your arms, kind of lay, you know, just head towards the earth and um, all these things. So I had everything ready. I even sat on the edge of the seat I was on and I'm practising and, oh, I've got it, I've got it, I'm right. So the guy comes in, did you watch it? Did you watch it? Like, what about OK Health and Safety here? Anyway, yes, I watched it and I'm not lying. So he goes, OK, come out, straps you into these most beautiful blue coverall things. Very attractive. And then you get your harness on and then this tall, strapping young man comes towards me. He goes, right, ready to go? I'm like, well, if that's, yep, it was like 9.02 and I was leaving in the morning. So we're walking down, as you saw, to the plane. I just want to say skydiving instructors should not be jokers. It's like having a joker who's a surgeon. Like it's not, you don't want that person just mucking around. So anyway, walking down, I'm like, so, um, and it's me, so I'm trying to chat, create relationship if we're going to go up and be clung together for the next 10 minutes. I want to know the guy. So I'm just like, so how many times have you done this? And he looks at me and goes, oh, I, this is my second time. It's going to be great. And I look at him, my husband's like, what? You even know the story, honey. And he said, and he looks at me and goes, nah, just kidding, 16,000. I'm like, oh, okay. And he goes, and you know what? Last week I took a 70-year-old woman up, so you should be fine. <laughs> I'm like, so then I get a bit sassy, because in Australia, if someone insults you, you just got to give it back to them. You don't cower backwards. So I'm like, yeah, that's okay. Like, I don't care anyway. I've done the five-minute video. I'm ready. And he goes, well, about the video. You know when you came out here, you told us what you wanted to do and we, you wanted to 
take this back. I wanted to use it in my church. And he said, we decided we would change it up a little. We're going to take a different plane. We've taken all the seats out and we're going to send our camera guy up with us who's going to jump first and then on his GoPro, he'll get footage of you jumping because normally who took me jumping out of the plane? Like who got that shot? So he said, so you know the whole video thing, it's a totally different plane. So would you be okay with that? I said, yeah, I don't care what plane it is. He goes, oh, the only other thing is you don't like roll out. You've got to climb out onto the wing. Hold on until I tell you and then we'll jump together. Are you okay with that? And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> this will be great. It's like James Bond. I hope you get the whole picture of me like standing on the wing of the plane, like those old fashioned movies. And I was so excited. Anyway, we get in the plane, off we go, get to 14,000 feet, because why would you bother with 10? If you're going to jump, you may as well jump from 14, I reckon. Do the 30 second free fall. Off we went. You know, Whilst I didn't feel too prepared, I knew that all the safety checks had been done. I knew I had my hands in my life in the hands of a company who had done the work and had done this thousands and thousands of times. And it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. But I think sometimes in our Christian faith, we're asked to do the same thing. We can either just do Christianity like this, get up, go to work, come home, say grace, maybe. Um, go to sleep, get up, go to work. Sunday, well, go to church, maybe once a month, I don't know. In Australia, when I was growing up, if you didn't go morning and night to church, you were a backsliding Christian. Now in Australia, if you go once every few weeks, you're fully committed, like that's where I belong. And so I don't know what you do over here. But if your faith just looks like something you do, what if God asks you to something, do something different? What if he asked you to step out into new places? Would you do it? Well, I don't know about that because for the last 20 years, this looked pretty much like this. And it's like every single day, the voice of the Spirit is wanting to speak to us and guide us. There are so many new opportunities and new places that God wants to take us and have us experience. And a lot of the times we just go, nah, it's kind of not what I do. That's not who I am. It takes courage. It takes determination to step out into new spaces. You know, often we'll say, one day, one day when I'm older, one day when I'm thinner, <laughs> one day when I haven't got so much to do, one day for me when the kids have left home and if I kill myself, it won't matter so much. That was kind of my reason why I left it so late to jump out of a plane. One day. But when we say one day when it comes to what God wants of us, one day very rarely comes. We have to reach out and to take hold of it. We have to step out into unknown places. And that's the kind of life that Jesus was talking about when he turned to the crowd and said, I've come to give you life. It says in John 10 verse 10, and life to the full, life abundant, life excessively wonderful. Not a life that will rob things from you, but life that you've never known before. That's the kind of life that Jesus came to give. So what happens when you're on your merry way, when you've watched the five minute video and they change the rules, they change the plane, they change the circumstances? What happens when you have your life planned out, when you have it mapped out the next 10 years and at year two, everything shifts? What happens when the health scare comes to you and you're like, this wasn't part of the deal? What happens when you get retrenched, made redundant? What happens when your parents split up? What happens... You, you can add the, the end to that. 
Well, I love the story of the Apostle Paul and how he planted a church in a place called Philippi because he had those experiences every day. He was a master at hearing the voice of God. In fact, he was converted by the audible voice of God. He was a murderer of Christians. He was a murderer on his way to Damascus. And on that road, God stopped him in his tracks, literally, and a blinding light from heaven spoke to him. And in that moment, he called out, Lord, what would you have me do? Three days later, he is put on a path that has affected the last 2,000 years of those of us who follow Jesus. So he knew the voice of God. And we read the story in Acts chapter 16, and I want to read it quickly with you. Acts 16 verse 6, and it says this, Paul and his friend Silas were travelled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the Word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Messiah, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. So many names. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead... In response to God saying no, they went on through Mycenae to the seaport at Troas. They land at the ocean. It goes on to say this, that night Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So, said Paul, we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God must be calling us to preach the good news there. All his plans, all his preparation. And once the Holy Spirit said, no, don't do that. Okay, I'll go here. The Holy Spirit says, don't do that. Okay, I'm at the ocean. I can't go any further. I'm going to sleep the night. Has a dream. Dreams about this man from Macedonia. And he goes, that must be where God wants us to go. We read on. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed at Neopolis. From there, it's about 10 miles in, they reached Philippi, a major city of that district and a Roman colony. We stayed there several days. I don't think I've ever kind of had the Lord say, go left, turn right, go down that road, go to that village, go to that city. Paul heard so clearly and responded so quickly that he was manoeuvrable. Are you manoeuvrable when God wants to move you? Is your schedule flexible enough when God needs your help in the everyday. You know, we find that Paul goes to the village and he, he's there and he's waiting and he's wondering what to do. He's changed his plans, he's changed his schedule. And then he has this idea and we read this from Acts 16. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, logical. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, he writes, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptised and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged until we agreed. You know, the blessing of obedience was beginning. When we respond with a yes, we are the answer to someone who is praying out of need. When you have a prompting in your heart to do something, often there's someone on the other end praying because they need you to do it. Do you understand that? It happens all the time. And in God's economy, He is the one who is manoeuvring us in the game of life. 
You know, one day Paul's standing there and uh, he's pretty pumped. He's doing high fives. He's like, how hard was this? I just went to sleep, had a dream, said yes, came to the city, had a thought, let's go to the river. Pretty awesome woman, wealthy, merchant, quite outspoken. She urges them to come and stay with them. High fives. This is easy. The will of God is easy. Just say yes and everything will be smooth sailing. Is that correct? Should be if you stopped there. But what happens is he starts preaching because, I mean, one woman and her household is probably not enough to start a church. So he starts preaching in the village and this annoying young girl keeps following him around. She's calling out and taunting and she has a demon in her, the Scripture tells us. And she was being used by officials of that city and they were using her to tell the future and they were making money out of it. So she's following them around and taunting them. Paul has enough. He turns around and he casts the demon out. Uh-oh, because that was the official's livelihood. All of a sudden, she's the next church member. Creative way of growing a church. She comes in. And then the officials get angry because they no longer have their source of income. So they make up stories about Paul and Silas. They go to other officials who then throw them in prison. Let me read you how they threw them in prison. It says this. I won't have this on the screen. Paul and Silas were stripped of their clothes in a public place, beaten with rods, and then thrown in a rat-infested dungeon. Their feet were put in wooden stocks and their hands were put in chains. Whatever happened to following the will of God? I thought I said yes, and I thought when you say yes, it's all up and to the right. Here we are, naked in front of the whole city, beaten with rats in the dungeon, feet and hands in chains and stocks. I must have got it wrong. Isn't that what we say when things go bad? How did I get this so wrong? I thought God wanted me to do what He asked me to do. I thought I was being obedient in doing it and look what's happened. It mustn't be right. That's what we would be very, it would be very comfortable for us to say that. So we go back to our story and we find Paul and Silas. Do they say that? Well, I don't know. Maybe they might have had a little moment of humanity that's not written in Scripture. But what we read they did was they start singing and worshipping Jesus. I'm not sure if it was their first response. Wouldn't have been mine. But they got there in a very short time and started singing songs of worship. We read that God sent an enormous earthquake to that area, so strong that the dungeon shakes, the doors fling open, the chains fling off, and they're sitting there wondering what's happening. The jailer comes running down, worried that the prisoners have escaped, and he says to them, he looks at them, he asks them why they're sitting there and then he says, what should I do to be saved? Now, I'm pretty sure he meant, how do I save my neck? Because if you guys had gone, I would be killed because I lost my prisoners. Paul, who's never short of taking a moment's opportunity, doesn't speak to his physical salvation. He speaks to his spiritual state. And he says these words to him, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. After some time talking and sharing with him, that jailer gives his life to follow the same one that Paul follows, Jesus Christ. In fact, he's so taken by that, in the dead of night, he takes Paul and Silas to his home, wakes up his family, that would have been a good moment, gets his wife out of bed, gets his children out of bed, gets his whole household up 
which would have been including servants and everyone who runs his home. He says, now tell them what you just told me. So in the middle of the night, after being stripped naked, after being beaten with rods, after no coffee, no massage, no spa treatment, nothing, then now sharing the gospel with the household of the jailer. We read in Scripture, the whole household comes to faith. In fact, the whole household is baptised that night. Sun comes up in the morning. The jailer has an idea. This isn't going to look so good if my boss comes and sees us all gone from the jail. <laughs> Quick! They all go back to the jail. I'm not sure whether they just kind of like, let's put those back on and make it look like you've been here the whole night. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us that. But it does say that those same officials who accused Paul and Silas came back in the light of day and said, we're sorry we made a mistake. The accusations were wrong. You're free to go. Interesting. We then read in Acts 16 this. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers, I love this sentence, and encouraged them once more. What do you think they talked about? (laughs) Oh my gosh, you're not going to believe the last 24 hours we've had. We're in there. We were beaten. The earthquake came. The chains fell off. The jailer gave his life to Jesus. We thought we'd better come back, save his life, you know, from... The story would have been amazing. Every time we get together and we talk about how good God is, we encourage each other. Every time we get together and say, oh, this week, you should have seen what God did. You should have seen how He came through. You should have seen what He's doing in my son's life, in my daughter's life. In fact, on Monday, I was going to do this and then He said, don't do that. And I went here and I went to sleep and I had a dream. And (laughs) you kind of know what I'm saying. They encouraged them. Then they left town, job done, church planted, task completed. You know, there's a, a book that is written to the church at Philippi, at Philippi. It's called the book of Philippians in the New Testament. Paul wrote it from another place in jail. That guy spent more time in jail. And I love verse 3 because he, he, then, he pens these words after he does his greetings and he goes, I thank God every time I remember you and remember the way that we started our journey together. And he said, every time I think of this, I smile. I'm like, I'd be smiling too. If God said, would you plan a church for me, Colin? You know, and uh, what I want you to do is just, you know, go on a little trip. I'll guide you. Yeah, but where do I go, Lord? It doesn't really matter. Just start. I'll just say no and I'll say yes whenever you get there. Okay. So he goes to Palmerston North. No, don't go there. (laughs) Goes up to Auckland. Don't go there. Do you know what I'm saying? Colin has the best time, church has started, people are coming. I hope you never get stripped naked and flogged. (laughs) But you know, things go south and things get hard and then you go, was I meant to do this? Did I hear right? Did I get the story okay? Yes. Ephesians 6 tells us to be dressed and ready. Tells us to be standing firm in the battles, hey. Why does it talk about battles so much in the Bible? when really I don't want to go through any battles. (laughs) I just want to be a follower of Jesus and up and to the right the whole time. It's just not like that. He doesn't say we'll be free of battles. He says, I will be with you in them. In Philippians 1 and verse 6, the letter that he wrote to that church he started, Paul says this, I'm confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you, and we all know how he began it, the, cult, the girl screaming with demons and the accidental meeting of Lydia and all of the chaos that happened after that. He who began that good work in you, he'll carry it out. He'll complete it. He'll perfect it. He'll sustain it until the day of Jesus Christ. Saying yes is not about whether it's going to work out easy or not. It's not knowing the next step all the time. When I say yes, I really want the next 10 years planned. I really want it so that I just know the schedule because then I'll, I will say yes, I'm sure. Well, here's the deal. You won't. Because in those 10 years, there's two or three tough ones. And if we know what's tough coming up, we avoid it at all costs. It's called being human. Saying yes is just seeing the next step and taking it. And seeing the next step and taking it. And seeing the next step. And after 10 years, you go, whoa, what a journey that's been. I'm so glad I said yes then, but I'm so glad I didn't know about that season in the middle. And in fact, I'm hoping the next season's better, but what a life it's been. Life to the full. It's that feeling of jumping all in. It's that feeling of not holding back. It's that feeling of free falling for 30 seconds, hoping that guy on the back of you is going to pull the chute because you didn't even get to see the video. <laughs> Do you want to see the final jump? Okay, come on, let's roll that. Gosh, I still get sweaty palms when I see that. But what a feeling, hey? You know, um, I was tested on everything I've just said to you because that's what happens when you get to preach. You have to live it. <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> you know, a couple of years ago, um, I had five incredible years at a church where in Perth and uh, God just exited me out of there and I knew there was a season ahead. And uh, I was waiting. I was, I guess I was like at the shore on Troas there and uh, I'm waiting for the next direction. And, you know, different things came and I just sit there and go, nah, I just don't want to do that. Just don't want to do that. I think it might be an age thing that when opportunities in life come, you want to not just do anything, you want to do the right thing. When you're 20, you could just do anything because you've got your whole life ahead of you. And I'm like, I just want God to say, this is the thing. You can come on up here, band, because we're going to bring this home now. So, Grace, you can bring the guys out. Um, 
you know, so I was waiting and waiting and then I got this really random email that I actually thought was one of those spam emails. And it said, to my sister in Christ, greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and may blessings be upon you. It's not like a normal introduction to an email that you get. Uh, my name is V, and I'm asking you if you will be a speaker at the Asia Pacific Baptist Federation Congress, try and say that five times fast, in Jogjakarta. I'm like, I reckon if I even open this, my whole computer's going to melt down. But um, I just kind of didn't open any attachments, and I just replied and said, greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are you? <laughs> and how did you get my email? I didn't put it so bluntly, but that was the essence. And this man comes back and said, aren't you Mark Wilson's wife? I'm like, oh my gosh, they've got his address as well. And, um, you know, we've got this Asia Pacific gathering and we would love you to come and speak on Acts 1.8. If you don't know what that is, the scripture would be one of my most passionate scriptures that I love to speak about. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, He will give you power to be my witness to Jer Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I'm like, I wanna preach on that. So I found myself in Jogjakarta. I had, didn't even really know where it was. So I had to find it on a map, obviously in Indonesia. And I landed there in this city and there's about 2000 Baptists from all over Asia, from about 30 different conventions that had gotten together. I'm like, what is going on here? I wonder if it was like Paul at the river going, well, now what do I do, God? Here's this woman, just speak to her because she's got connections. She's a leader. She'll start this church, okay, you know? So it's that kind of what's happening. And so I did the message and I still wondered why I was there really. And uh, then uh, the actual leader of Baptist World Aid Australia, the CEO was there as well. And he goes, Karen, I'd love to have lunch with you and Mark. I'm like, great, that sounds great. This is about 18 months while I've been waiting on the shore of, at like a Troas waiting for the next prompting from God. And you know, he sat down and he just said, I've been praying for like two or three years. And my role is so big, he tells me about himself. He said, uh, I really need someone who will come in and who will, and it, he didn't even get the sentence out. And the voice of the Lord goes, this is the next thing. Now I am likely to go, it's okay, I'm going to do it. Like God just, but I didn't, I held back because I'm, you know, just trying to be professional. And, but the, it was so loud, this is the next thing. Those are the words. So John Hickey starts saying, and he starts to explaining what he would like me to do. And he's like, we'd love to give you a job. Would you be the National Director of Strategic Relations? Still nobody knows what that even means, but it sounded great. For the Baptist world, he said, would you just tell the stories of the poor? Would you just connect people to the lives of those who can't speak for themselves? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm pretty sure there's nothing else that I'd rather be doing with my life. But it was that voice of the Lord going, this is the next thing, Karen. My next thought was, I have no idea how to do this. I've been a pastor of a church for the last 20 years. And there's all sorts of new initiatives they want to do and I, in areas I've never been, but that's never stopped me before. Remember I said at the beginning, when God says, this is it, say yes. And in between saying yes and starting the job, you have to just work out how to do it. So that's what I did. I said, I probably need four or five months to kind of get my life sorted and tie off a few loose ends, do some study. And I said, then I'm, I'm all in. I only just started in June this year. And it's been the most incredible ride of my life.
That stuff doesn't even come close to the feeling of knowing you are saying yes to God and He's then equipping you, empowering you, guiding you, leading you. I only know the next step and I'm glad I don't know the next 10, but I just say next, say yes to each one that comes along and I wonder if you would do the same. What is it that God's asking you to do? Some of you have held things perhaps for 10 years and you just haven't done it yet. What if you did it? You just don't know how long you've got. Why would you want to live in any other way? No regrets. Just yes and an almighty jump of faith. He catches you on the way down. You will make it the way He wants you to make it. You just got to trust Him at every single turn. Why don't we stand? Because I want to just lead us in a moment of response. And I'm going to have this team just lead us in a song tonight. And uh, I've asked your pastor if it's okay to ask people to physically respond. I'm like, is Bethlehem Baptist a church that just everyone likes to just stay standing where they are and say yes to Jesus like this? She's like, no. I asked Michaela, because clearly that's what you have to do about everything here. <laughs> and, um, you know, and she's just like, no, come on, let's just do this. Let's just move. Let's just step out in faith. So my ask for you tonight is, would you be willing to do that? As we begin to sing in a moment, I'm going to ask you, if you've got something in your heart that you know God is saying, hey, what about this? Whatever it is. For some of you, it may be to actually say, yeah, I want to know more about you. How weird you have to step out of your seats, walk down the front and stand here. I know, but here's what I also know. Every step Paul took on every missionary journey he ever did to every city he ever landed in was a step of faith. And I believe that every step he took, he grew stronger. I've walked many, many, many kilometres this year. And every step I took, I grew stronger. I was amazed. I thought I'd get weaker and I'd fall down dead before I got to the end. But it actually isn't true. Every step of faith you take, you get stronger. And every step you take, the Lord steps with you. My dad used to say to me as a little girl, he was a preacher and he'd say, Karen, you take the first step and God will take the, t the other 10. I'm like, the first one's just so hard to take. It is, and that's why you've got to do it. The next, you actually end up going, how did I get down here? How did this even happen? It's because God kind of like guides the rest. But He wants you to choose yes. You can choose no, but I wouldn't want to because I would miss out on the most incredible life that God has for me. So I choose yes every single time. It took me a while to learn that, but I've learned it and I'm doing it now. Will you do it as well? So what are we going to sing? How are we going to do this? Build my life. All right. As Grace starts to sing, what I want you to do is just to step out from your seat and go, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do this thing. Yep, I'm stepping out to say yes to Jesus. I don't even know what it is, but I know there's something tomorrow He's got for me. Something next year. Something for my family. Something for my work. Something for my study. Something for my leadership. Something. And then what I'm going to do is pray that God would reveal to you exactly the next step to take. Is that okay? All right, let's go. You sing. And as I sing, you come. And then we're going to pray for you down the front here.